Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Cape Town, our superhero podcast about superhero things. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Hannah Mazel. And I'm Ryan Ham. And this week, uh, or actually the week after this comes out on September 12th, we're going to be, it's going to be Batman Day. I don't know if it's like National Batman Day, like if Eisenhower made a pronouncement that it was going to be Batman Day, but every year at some point... I've realized that September 12th is Batman Day. So this is going to be our ba- big Batman episode. Uh, we're going to dive into that a lot. We have a lot to talk about about Batman because there is a substantial amount of material out there to talk about when it comes to Batman. But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about news. There's not a ton of it this week, um, but I did want to ask, uh, I suppose mostly Ryan and Hannah, because this is like really outside of my lane for superheroes, this Spider-Man PS4 game. I'm seeing a lot of things about it on Twitter. People seem really excited about it. Talk to me like I'm an idiot, because when it comes to games, I am. Is this a reason to be excited? Uh, yes, this is a reason to be excited. Um, mostly because uh, if you remember, like in 2004, uh, there was a game that came out. I think it was technically tied into the Spider-Man 2 movie, like the Tobey Maguire version. And um, they released a video game tie-in for it um, uh-huh. that was basically Grand Theft Auto, except Spider-Man. And people like loved it, mostly because it was really fun to move around the city and recreated the feeling of web-slugging really well. Um, and apparently, from all the reviews I've read, like that's what this new game does really well. Um, it apparently is just a blast to move around as Peter Parker um, through the city. Um, you know, for people who are into the comics, there's a ton of fan service. So you can collect, um, you know, as you get collectibles, you can unlock different suits from all the different years and versions of Spider-Man. And I think they might have different powers. You can like, you can upgrade your abilities as you like learn more ways to be Spider-Man, um, all kinds of cool stuff. It's getting great reviews. It's by a really good uh, developer who's done a whole bunch of stuff called um, Insomniac. They did like Ratchet and Clank, if anyone ever played that, which was a lot of fun. So yeah, everything is going forward. It sounds amazing. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, it's for PS4 and I do not have one. So (laughs) I am super jealous that I don't get to play. But by all accounts, it's incredible. And if anyone has played it, we would love to hear your uh, impressions. Oh, yeah. I guess we could bring on like a video game correspondent or something to talk about Spider-Man PS4 whenever it comes out. Hannah, do you guys yeah. have a PS4? Yeah, I think we need to outsource this. Um, yes, uh, we have a PS4, but I really don't do much video gaming. Like I've only dabbled in Warcraft and that's, a, you know, it's a PC game. Um, I, I don't really know much about insomniac the developers of the game but i I did read uh the polygon review it was quite an endorsement so that's about as much of an opinion as i can give you (laughs) well i'm not a i'm not like a gamer at at all i guess and i've always i've wanted to be i think the reason i'm not is because i'm worried that i'd like get really into it and i wouldn't get anything else done so it's it's a decision made based out of fear and it's served me well so far. I just feel like, cause I remember when that like old Spider-Man game came out in 2004 and I think I was living in a house at the time that had one and it is super fun. Like the open world movement. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah. Doing a terrible job with this. The open, but the open world is so much fun to swing around. Like it does a really good job of creating that feeling of swinging around New York city. And you could just spend your entire time swinging back and forth on that. And I've got too much else going on in my life right now. Yeah, but it's very exciting for people who are in this video games and are into Spider-Man. It sounds like it's going to be great. Another big announcement that came out this week was that uh, but next the, a week after you guys hear this, DC Universe, the uh, long gestating streaming slash digital comic book service that DC is launching to compete with Marvel Unlimited, is finally going to be launching. It's basically going to be DC's sort of Netflix where they're going to have... I guess, a curated list of their comic books available to everybody that may or may not mean all of their comic book content is, uh, which is what Marvel offers. But DC, at the very least, is going to have the uh, 
they're going to be offering some of their comics, probably a pretty large selection, and they're going to be curating them. So you can, in addition to reading those, you can be watching a lot of DC's old television content, a lot of their old movie content, maybe some of their new stuff too, and it will recommend comics to you based on what you're watching. So if you're watching a lot of Batman, the animated series at all, uh, recommend some Batman comics to you that fit in with those episodes. Same thing with watching uh, the old Superman show or the old Justice League show. I think it's an interesting idea. It may not offer the same level of choice that people want from a, a digital comic book experience. And uh, I think we've already talked about how some of these new exclusive TV shows that they're launching look, uh, including Nightwing's uh, now really infamous fuck Batman line in the Titans trailer. So there's, I don't know, like with everything coming out of DC right now that isn't a comic book, I'm a little back and forth on this. Yeah, well, we had talked about before, like the idea of curating their comics that are available through it, it, it to me like I'm, i i kind of see that as them being a little stingy like i would rather like i know how i'm not sure exactly what the different degrees of membership are for um marvel unlimited but you know like you pay more you can get more i think um with that or at least you get like i get a box full of like stupid marvel toys <laughs> like, you get some like goodies right goodies. i was looking at it yeah. the other day i was thinking about upgrading because they had some really cool like toys that they were offering and i was kind of tempted by it you you should be I I get stupid excited when that box comes in the mail. But um, anyway, I just I feel like you know we've we've been waiting a long time for DC to give us something where we can really have access to like a I would like a nice catalog of their of their um, issues and yeah. um, particularly their older works. And I just I I you know we talked about before if this just feels like something where they're gonna offer maybe comics that are just going to hopefully for them get you more interested in watching the latest season of arrow or, or something or, or their, their TV shows. Like, I just wonder how, you know, comic book fan friendly the service is, or if it's just kind of all feeding into their, the giant media conglomerate. It's, you know, that's what I'm concerned about. And also just reading the press release, like the, you know, they mentioned that there are going to be thousands of comics available, which sounds great. Um, but then, like the comics that they pull out are like the first edition of action comics and introduce superman as well as batman's introduction will be on there which is cool i mean like i don't actually the 30s think and 40s you mean yeah yeah which i don't think marvel actually has like some of the really old ones on unlimited uh i don't think they have like like especially some of the pre-marvel stuff like early fantastic right. four captain america yeah yeah exactly but then they like then the other stuff they call out are jeff johns and jim lee's justice league <laughs> which like is not like the best justice league by a long shot and then Scott Snyder's Swamp Thing, which is also good, but not the best Swamp Thing. And then Harley Quinn with like the Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda oh, Connor, yeah. which I think I read some of, which like is is decent. But it's just weird that it wouldn't like, you know, that they're not calling out some of their heavy hitters from over the years where it's like, hey, you can finally read like Snyder's entire Batman run and uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and, you know, Brian K. Vaughn's fill in the blank. Like, um, yeah, just that they wouldn't like highlight some of those so i I don't know i mean for me it's definitely a wait and see because i'm decidedly not interested in any of the tv shows like the first doom patrol pictures came out this week and those look okay and i'm like i'm curious about swamp thing just because of the creative team behind it (laughs) i think they just announced something today about them uh tapping len is it len wiseman i think he's the guy who did um the vampire movie with kate beckinsale right or is that someone else? Oh, Underworld. Underworld? Yeah. Is he involved now? Oh, is he doing? Oh. Is he gonna like direct Swamp Thing then? Uh, I think it was directing at least the um, the pilot episode. I'm oh, not I sure missed that. The whole thing. Yeah, directed by Len Wiseman. You're right. I mean, sure. I guess. Sure, I mean, I like yeah. James Wan as a you know as a producer and showrunner, but yeah. So I guess like it's just kind of like you know I'm just not excited about any of the shows and like. And it doesn't sound like from Tyler, you and I were talking about it earlier that they're not going to have all of the animated series on there, which is like far and away the best stuff they've ever done. Um, like, it sounds like they're going to have some of their movies, but they're only going to have the first two seasons of Batman um, and the original Wonder Woman series, which is like fine. Um, 
And, you, and it, like, and one of the things they tout is the all four original Superman movies. <laughs> I'm like, really, you should only be talking about two. Like, <laughs> You're not excited to see Superman Quest for Peace again, like in the comfort oh of your own gosh. home. Even when I was 10 years old and had no discerning taste, I knew that movie sucked. <laughs> well, they, they pushed those movies too, like in the tra- like in the trailer and the advertisements. For, yeah, they really did. Like, there was a lot of Superman uh, movie clips. One of the things that's really great about Marvel Unlimited that can be sort of uh, daunting sometimes for sure is just the sheer scope of what's available to you because they really do have digitized their entire library. Um, and if you don't know anything about comics, then it can be really, really difficult to know where to begin because there's, you know, there's any, there's probably a solid 50 different Spider-Man series and the same number of X-Men and Fantastic Four and Captain America. It can be really difficult. Uh, so I understand why the idea of having sort of a curated guide to help you know where to start would be really helpful. And it would be cool if that was something that was offered. I don't think it has to be an either or situation. I feel like you could have sort of a guide to reading DC comics and still have them all available. That just doesn't sound like what it's, that's what DC is going to do. And I think that that makes me wonder, well, what's the goal that, what are they going to be trying to, push on me and why don't they trust me to just sort of dive in and and do a deep dive maybe they will we're we're still making a lot of assumptions because they haven't frankly done a great job of explaining what this is all going to be like yet um i'm interested in trying out but i'm I'm definitely a wait and see thing and and uh it's it's not a huge investment 75 dollars you can get the whole year so if if you can afford it then i I suppose that's a good deal but i do sort of wish there was a tiered option like you were saying hannah because i the shows don't interest me at all. So if I could pay half of that and just get the comics, I'd be way more interested in that. And like, I, you know, I mean, some of this, like some of it will probably be cool. I, and I mean, I, we should say there is a, there is a seven day free trial. So we'll do that yeah. for sure. <laughs> like, I mean, I just, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think it's probably not a great sign if two of the comics they're uh, showcasing on the website are uh, the death of Superman. And <laughs> Uh, and final crisis <laughs> like maybe like those are not the let's just say those are not the ones i would choose if i was curating a comic book series. especially when they have so many great comics i know it sounds like we drag on dc a lot on this show we want to cheer dc on and they have a lot of great comics coming out right now they've really stepped oh yeah their deck. Like some of the best ever it's amazing and i wish they could focus on that and and really lean into what they're doing well um, but a lot of times it seems like they insist on trying to focus on things they're not doing quite as well. And and in this case, DC Universe could really go either way. The trailer didn't interest me. I'm excited for the Swamp Thing show, but I, I think DC is still sort of spinning its wheels in terms of, of trying to get really good TV shows out there. And Marvel is too. I don't think either of the big two comic companies have quite cracked uh, TV yet. Well, except for Legion, maybe. Legion, but... which is... Awesome. Season three is coming. In better, like more optimistic news, we did find out that after a year hiatus, Guardians of the Galaxy, the comic, is returning. Uh, the third movie is still up in the air as to whether or not that's even happening. But we're going to get a comic written by Don Cates, who's one of the most prolific and, and honestly best writers over at Marvel right now. Uh, he's done a lot of work on Inhumans. He's currently writing Cosmic Ghost Rider and the Venom series, which are all just excellent, really, really good. And now he's taking over Guardians. Uh, he released a promo image that uh, features like 60-some different possible members of Guardians of the Galaxy. We'll have to wait till the comic comes out to find out who actually makes the final cut. But there's like, in addition to the Guardians we all know, there's like Galactus and the Silver Surfer on there. Uh, a lot of Asgardians make an appearance. The Star Jammers, Ryan, showed up in the image. Yeah. Uh, there, so there could be any number of... Uh, well, the Guardians of the Galaxy could look very different in the comics in the coming months than they do in the movies. Uh, and I just really like Don Cates. I feel like we, I've probably mentioned him on here a number of times. His Venom series is excellent. It's really, really good. His Inhumans, uh, it's a mini series that he's doing with Inhumans called Death of Inhumans. And it's very sad, but but it's really, really well written. Uh, it's, it's nicely handled. And I'm excited that he's getting a little bit higher profile. Those are both a little bit more minor names in uh, at marvel and now he's getting a real premiere title and it'll be cool to see him stretch his wings with a guardians book we've talked about don cates and you guys haven't dug into cosmic ghost rider or venom or thanos or any of those series yet right 
No. No, sadly, not uh, yet. Well, when you get there, you're gonna enjoy. <laughs> Thank you for holding the torch. High. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it all on my own. I am really excited that they're making Guardians like extremely weird again. Because that, I feel like that's when it's at its best. So. I, I think that they kind of became a little more normalized with the success of the movies because they wanted to bring in some more. You know, they wanted to cast a wider net, which is understandable. But traditionally, one of the charms of the series, like with the movies, is just how offbeat and weird it is. And I feel like Cates could really deliver on that. He's a, he's a young writer. He, he likes to go in, in kind of bizarre places, but he's also very emotional. And he, he really knows how to deliver a heartbreaker like I don't think anybody else in superhero comics is right now. Uh, don't get too attached to anybody because uh, he kind of he runs his comics kind of like Games of Thrones and where there's really nobody's safe, uh, which can be frustrating, obviously. But I think he plays his cards really smart and, and it never feels like a, a shocking tragedy just for the sake of a shocking tragedy. But it feels very earned and and even very thematically rewarding and meaningful. Uh, so I'm like, and that's a, a cool idea to bring to the Guardians movies, which R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I guess that's more news is that the Guardians movie has been uh, indefinitely uh, on hold. So we'll see if we ever get Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It's been put on hold. And then uh, David Bautista, who plays Drax, uh, said in an interview this week that he doesn't know if he wants to work with Disney anymore after how they treated James Gunn. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if that's an option for him. I don't know what the contracts are like uh, the, over at Disney, but that's a really, that's a bold, that's saying no to a lot of money uh, on Bautista's part. We'll see what happens still, but, but that would be, I don't know. At this point, maybe not doing a third one is the right way to go. Maybe the next Avengers movie could give them a really fun send off and, and we can move on to less complicated film franchises. What is though this whole thing is just a disaster like yeah could have been avoided by just you know you know grown-ups talking you know (laughs) i don't remember i mean i I don't feel like i follow the film industry super closely but i don't think i've ever seen something with quite this much drama this much public drama uh both behind the scenes and also kind of taking place in front of all of us because it's been taking place on social media and on and we've seen regular updates about it it wasn't just rumors that came floating from uh, anonymous sources. We've we've been able to follow it in real time, and it's yeah, it's irritating that this isn't something that a bunch of grownups can't just get in a room and sort of sort out together. Yeah, and like what's even more surprising too. I mean, aside from like obviously, you know, our emotional attachment to the movies because we love them so much, but like they make so much money. Like yeah. they've been so successful, and maybe you know. Uh, I mean, not maybe we know Disney and Marvel have, you know, more money than God at this point. So maybe they can't just be like, eh, we know we could have, you know, made how much movie, how much money did, did even Infinity War make? I don't remember. Uh, broke a billion. Yeah. So you're potentially saying no to, to even if Guardians, I don't think, I don't know if the Guardians movies ever hit a billion. Maybe they did. I don't, I can't remember. But you're definitely saying no to, to lots and lots of money. Hundreds of millions of dollars. And it seemed to happen so quickly that I have to think Disney underestimated it at some point, just how much, what the drama would be, what the fallout would look like, because the decision was made very, very quickly. And uh, it's still an issue. It, it hasn't gone away, at least over on, on comic book nerd Twitter. Uh, every day, rehire James Gunn is, is still trending. So I, I, I don't see this disappearing as fast as Disney wants it to, but they seem pretty committed at this point to sticking by their guns. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously, Dave Bautista is the one who, you know, don't give a, you know, and it's just out there on his Twitter saying, you know, exactly how he feels about it. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, behind the scenes, the cast and crew are maybe being, you know, just as frustrated about it. Because otherwise, I can't imagine why it would go on, you know, indefinite, you know, hold like that. Just again, because of the money at stake. It's been a, <laughs> I, we try to on the, on Facebook and on Twitter for the official Cape Town social media team, we do try to do somewhat regular updates about when things happen, but, but we have to be a little bit selective because there's honestly a new rumor every single day about they're rehiring him or they're not rehiring. He's going to be a producer. They're going to keep the script or they're never taught. Nobody's talking to anybody anymore. It's nuts how much chatter there is about this, but I think it's just a sign of how much people do like these movies and care about these characters. And they, the idea of not having a third one that was sort of, that was really exciting to see the third part of the trilogy and know that was in the works and to have that taken away. 
I feel a little like hurt by that. I was excited to see it to see it get finished, but I understand how complicated it got really quickly. So it's really hard to come out of that <laughs> one, but it, but it always has been hard to come out of it this one because it's a it's a messy situation and, and it's a really unfortunate one. The last piece of news I wanted to mention quickly before we moved on to to talking about Batman is that this week uh, a woman by the name of Marie Severin passed away. Uh, Marie was one of the, not just the very first women in comics, but one of the very first people in superhero comics. She was working at Marvel back before it was even called Marvel. She was working there when it was called Timely. Um, and she was working as an artist and a colorist. By the 70s, she was actually their go-to colorist at Marvel. Jack Kirby would pull her aside and ask her to handle his layouts because he thought that she was better at it than he was. She was the very first artist on The Incredible Hulk. She created Spider-Woman. She was the co-creator of a a lot of different characters. Artists don't always get the same credit that writers do, but she was very involved in a lot of different, the creation of a lot of different characters. But Spider-Woman was her signature character, um, she left Marvel in the 90s and she passed away earlier this week. And it was really sweet to see all the tributes going out to her. She obviously left behind a, a really touching legacy. Everybody had very kind things to say about her personality and her humor. Uh, and I think it's notable to, we always try to honor when somebody passes away who is important to the foundation of these. And when that was a woman, especially, and knowing what a lot of women had to endure in any workplace, especially a, a one as male-centric as comic books, that's no mean feat. But it seemed like she did it with a lot of class. So rest in peace, Marie Severin. Draw an incredible Hulk up in heaven. <laughs> And with that, we'll move on to the subject of this week for Batman Day. We're going to talk about Batman. Honestly, we've been a little bit hesitant to take on a character like Batman on the show just because there's so much to him. And he's there's so much that's already been said and written about Batman. And it's hard to know really what to to add to the conversation. Can't really sum up his legacy or, or where he came from or what his comic books are like. very briefly and obviously most people already know what they think about batman which is sort of the complicated thing about doing a new story or a movie or a tv show about him is that everybody has such a clear idea of what their batman is like and and any deviation is treated as a serious affront to the legacy of who batman is um so in order to to combat that a little bit we decided to get out of the box this week we each read a batman story that we hadn't read before tried to broaden our own horizons of who batman is there's obviously a lot to choose from um ryan you said you read a thousand pages of batman comics uh, in prep fortunate. for this well i mean it's like I can't it believe became my that. bedtime reading um in my reading while kids were doing naps so yeah i think like like one of the crazy things like you said is that you know, Batman is just so in the public consciousness. It's kind of like trying to do a podcast episode about Star Wars. Like, even if you've ever read any Batman comics, like, you know who Batman is, you know the basic story beats, you kind of know sort of what you think about Batman. You've probably seen, like, two different versions of Batman on screen, if not three or four. So I was really excited to, like, have a reason to deep dive into some stuff I'd never read before because I have all of my favorites, you know, some of the classics I've, you know, obviously tried to read over the years. So I started doing some research in my, very nicely, my uh, public library, which this is a pro tip. Uh, My public library has a digital app that lets you check out digital comics. Um, So I was able to, you know, basically kind of scroll through everything they had. And um, the ones I decided to read were, uh, it's kind of confusing because it's like, Batman colon Bruce Wayne colon murderer question mark and then the follow-up <laughs> Batman colon Bruce Wayne colon fugitive um so those were the it's from the early 2000s um the reason I decided to check it out is because Ed Brubaker uh one of my favorite comic creators was writing bat like the main Batman book at that point and then Greg Rucka another writer who I really like um wrote a pretty significant chunk of it as well yeah, so so it was it was really fun to have a reason to do that, and I also got to read like the, a classic I never read. I finally read Batman Year One, which like is incredible. Um, you know, no big surprise there. It was super good to read and see just like what all the fuss was about. Um, I know we've we've probably talked about Frank Miller on here before, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about Frank Miller. But when he is writing at the top of his game, which he clearly was in Year One, 
it's incredible and you know and it's i think especially the thing that really blew me away especially like reading um bruce wayne murder um and bruce wayne fugitive it's like a whole bunch of different illustrators as well because it's a lot of different writers and different books um so that art was pretty hit or miss um but then turning to batman year one uh the illustrator was the penciler is david mazzuccelli which i'm probably butchering so i apologize um but it's like some of the best art i've ever seen in a comic um like his use of layout and like the, the layout and the way it flows with the script are incredible so both of those were it was you know it ended up being easy to read a thousand pages of comics because um i was happy to go along for a ride in uh, Gotham City that I'd never read before but um, you know in Batman I think probably I would guess for all of us probably the thing I've read the most of so it was fun to check out a new story and see everything maybe even on this podcast before I've said this but I think Batman Year One isn't just the story the comic book that I would tell people to read it if they had never really read any Batman before, but I think it's one of the best comic books to give somebody who's never read a comic book before, because it's such an easy to follow linear storyline that sort of follows a series of very uh, well-known characters. Uh, mostly Bruce Wayne and, and commissioner Gordon are sort of the co-protagonists of Batman year one, which focuses just on Bruce Wayne's first year as Batman in Gotham city. Uh, it's broken up by the four seasons and by adding a little bit of sort of some new information to things you didn't really know about Batman, putting some of the things that you do know about him into a different context. Also in core, it, Batman begins uh, the Christopher Nolan movie drew pretty heavily from year one. So you'll recognize a few scenes from there. I think it's, it's got some really, really awesome moments. And I think it's a great instructive way just to start reading comic books in general, because it's, it's flows so seamlessly and so fluid. The artwork is so well handled and uh, it was written in the eighties. And, and at the time, eighties comics were really bad. It it was a lot of massively muscled guys and and women in, in thongs and bikinis jumping around rooftops and, and really crazy, highly exaggerated sci-fi poses. And what Frank Miller and Mazzuccelli did in this was very, very revolutionary and, and it, very... Uh, uh, it left a really big stamp on comics because they said, we're going to make this as real as possible. And they were one, the, were one of the first comics to really do that. They pulled away all the trappings. They made everything less uh, less big and, and boisterous and sexy and just tried to imagine what it would look like if a man decided to dress like a bat and run around Gotham City beating up bad guys. Still, I, I think it works like gangbusters. I love year one. I think it's such a good comic. I also think it... Um... It is really good too because, it, it, like like you said, it's a really great place to start because I think it it also helps you re understand where comic books fit in, like just in terms of broader genre fiction, um, because it relies so heavily on crime novels and uh, like film noir that it like becomes almost an extension of those media, but it does something that neither can. Um, and so you know you you can start to see like oh this is like what a crime comic can look like. Um, you know, and then, and then that hopefully will get you interested in other stuff. And you can say like, oh, this is what like sci-fi could look like in a comic and, you know, really help you understand how comic books fit into kind of broader genre fiction. And the cool thing about Batman is that, um, depending on which version of Batman you're reading, he can fit almost all of the genre. Fiction. <laughs> so, um, that's, yeah, that's one of my favorite things about the character too. You know, it's funny. It's actually Batman, uh, year one was the first like actual comic book I ever read. Oh, really? Like six years ago, um, was when like, uh, my husband started getting back into it and I was like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious, ready to dabble. And at that point I'd only ever done graphic novels and, um, which I think are a little easier for people who are intimidated by just like the total, you know, breadth of stories there are out there in comic books. Um, but, uh, no year one, I can tell you was a great, um, introduction into the world of comics because I kept reading them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went from Batman year one and then I like couldn't stop. And then I got into uh, Scott Snyder's zero year, which is kind of like another origin story, you know, that'll go into, you know, Batman's run, the new 52 that Scott Snyder did. Um, so yeah, no, I just want to support what you guys said. Cause I do agree. And it, it really like, it catapulted me into the world of comics and it, 
it gave me a good first experience. And I, and then I read, you know, obviously some other Frank Miller stuff from the eighties, Dark Knight Returns and a few others. But there's, there's some pretty classic Batman stories. I feel like that came out in the eighties. Of those uh, two, like kind of origin stories, the, the Frank Miller's year one, and then Scott Snyder's redux on it, which is called zero year, which uh, is a much more science fiction take on Batman's origin. It's excellent. It's just very, very different. It's much more, yeah, it feels kind of like a like a 80s sci-fi movie. Which one do you think Hannah was a, did you enjoy more? I, you know, kind of like what you guys have been saying before, like there's so many Batman stories out there that you can kind of get a different feel, different character from, dif- you know, different writers and creators. Um, that honestly, they, there are like, there could be pretty big disparity between the style of the storytelling. Um, I don't know if you can like totally compare them. I think that year one is just like a classic, like, you know, I would say it's like a masterpiece, you know, comic right there. Um, because it not only tells a good story, um, but it visually it's, it's like, if you just, you know, just open up year one and just scroll through it real quickly. Like it just, it, it, it looks different than any other comic, especially other comics that you'll see now. Mm-hmm. Um, the art style is so different. Yeah, I mean, they're both good. I think that some people don't like reading older comics. Like they enjoy more sure. modern storytelling, you know, set in a modern time. So that might be something that someone might prefer zero year over year one. Just that. But I think they're both super strong. I, I love zero year. I mean, I once I it was it's easy to like to read that and just to want to keep going. Um it, it definitely I feel like brings you into that new Batman story run pretty, pretty effectively. I feel like if I didn't know that your one had been written in the eighties, I probably wouldn't guess it just by reading it because it feels so out of place with other eighties comics that I have read. It feels pretty timeless, but zero year by Scott Snyder definitely feels like a very modern comic. It feels very of the two thousands in terms of its art style, which is, which is very good in terms of the violence. It's, it's pretty violent. And also Scott Snyder, who's always been very interested in Batman's emotional life. Um, his his insecurities and his doubts and and how he questions himself and that's something that he delves into a lot with the very young Bruce Wayne in Zero Year. Hannah, what new uh, what new story did you take on this week? I read um, DC Metal. Oh yeah. So I have been sitting on my my bookshelf for a long time and I've been wanting to read it. So it's it's definitely more of like a Justice League story, you know, crossover event and just like a you know, a solo Batman run that we know we've, we've, that we've been talking about so far, but, um, but there are, there's like lots of good justice league stories out there that obviously include Batman. He's a big part of that. It's kind of like the leader. So um, metal is crazy. I don't know if you guys know much about it, but <laughs> I read a few issues, but I didn't, I did not finish it. I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it, but I, I never just never got around to reading it all. It's hard not to like it. Um, there were so many things that like, I just was like, this is awesome. Like you could just, you could tell that they had a fun time creating the stories and, you know, there's different, um, you know, like one-offs kind of involved in, in um, the whole event itself. So there's, I had, I got the three trades. I got road to metal and um, dark nights. And then I haven't really gotten very far. I read a few stories from dark nights rising, which actually kind of gives you more of like a, um, a background into some of the characters you actually see in Dark Knights, the the actual story itself in metal. It's set in a dark multiverse. So there's different metals mentioned in Scott Snyder's run that have a huge part, obviously, in metal. Um, so I actually don't think you need to read Road to Metal to enjoy this. That's just a little, you know, tip for the for people who are interested in it. Um, I think because there's just a lot of like, there's a lot about Hawkman, um, which I didn't know about, but honestly, it kind of just gave me more detail than I really needed. I would say that it doesn't real the, the story itself isn't probably going to give you a very good like character study on Batman, um, but it's just a really fun read, which is kind of what I wanted to do because I've, I've done more of the serious kind of classic Batman stories in the past. Um, and I hadn't, I haven't really delved into too much of the, the team up stuff. So um it was fun. I will tell you, like, there's just some characters that pop up, like, out of nowhere that can be a little, like, it can crowd the page sometimes um, and be a little overwhelming. I'm not sure it's a great story for first-timers to read, 
even though you don't need to know too much beforehand, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it as a first read for because don't there end up being like five or six dark Batman or evil Batman who show up? Yeah, there's I <laughs> it's really hard to describe it too much without like taking away some of the I feel like some of just like the outrageousness of it is what makes it good. Yeah, but it's set in a dark or dark multiverse. There's like different evil versions of Batman. They're the they're the um the Dark Knights and it's basically there's been like a build up to this that you weren't even aware of happening in, in the previous, like the new 52 stuff. So yeah, I feel like that's, that's, that's as much as you need to know. Just, it's just a fun ride. It's it, like, you can imagine like listening to like a heavy metal album and reading it and be like, yeah, like it's just like, you have to like, it's one of those, one of those stories that embraces some of the more ridiculous tropes we see in comic books, you know, like outrageous characters, kind of coming out of nowhere <laughs> um, among some other things, but they had fun doing it and it was self-aware enough to, it, it, you know? Um, so I think for people who are like interested in reading something like purely just like fun, uh, outrageous, you know, read medals for you. So I dug into uh, the ongoing series right now that's coming from DC Tom King is writing Batman, sort of a revolving door of different artists. Currently, Lee Weeks is on the title. And I really wanted to read and hadn't read any of the lead up to what we talked about a few weeks ago, the uh, Batman's wedding. Uh, Batman was uh, prepped to get married to Catwoman. That had been the a big part of the arc of the first 50 of what apparently is going to be, what Tom King is hoping is going to be a 100-issue arc. And reading all of those, it's very different because you don't really see... Batman in a, in a romantic setting very often. He's always seen as having these very tortured uh, relationships with these femme fatales like Catwoman uh, and the Talia al Ghul. Uh, but in this one, him and Catwoman, Selina Kyle, really do sort of settle down and try to make a real relationship work. Uh, and she moves into Wayne Manor and she gets to know the boy like his his son Damien and and Dick Grayson and Alfred and they go on dates with Clark Kent and Lois Lane and it was uh I think this is what I mean when I say that people always have their own idea of Batman that they're very scared about branching out from because the idea of Batman being somebody's steady boyfriend and then fiance is very opposed to a lot of people what people want out of batman which is a sort of this distant wounded loner who's too cool to ever be like james bond to ever really be in love with anybody but in this one he not only is in relationship he's really in love with with selena because they really understand each other they're both have a lot of psychological trauma they both dealt with it in very unconventional ways obviously and this comic deserves a lot of credit for really for allowing that to take over the whole narrative. And it becomes more about that than it becomes about beating up bad guys in Gotham City. We've talked a lot about Tom King on this show, and I, I really admire his writing a lot. I admire how difficult it probably was for him to even sell the idea of this story to DC. And I'm glad they let him run with it because I think it worked really well. And parts of it almost work out kind of like a, a romantic comedy. Uh, and then some parts of it get very, very personal and show us uh, Bruce Wayne being vulnerable with somebody in a way that we probably really haven't seen because people don't really want to see that from Batman. And I always admire when somebody takes a chance on Bruce Wayne to show a, a different sort of uncomfortable side of him that doesn't just appeal to fanboys who want to have a somebody to throw a bunch of wish fulfillment and teenage fantasies on, but somebody they can honestly see themselves reflected in, in terms of their own experiences in life with, with heartbreak and falling in love and, and having to move on after something doesn't work out, which I think as we all know now, it, it did not end up working out with Catwoman. Wow. Spoilers. Um, yeah. Sorry. It's been, it's been out there for like three months now. <laughs> Sounds like this Batman is more emotionally available. Well, yeah. If anybody out there is single, yeah. uh, <laughs> see what you can do. We've kind of touched on this. I've read about this a little bit, and this isn't totally unique to me, but there's a lot of different ideas about what, what Batman is. But there's, I think a lot of people grow up with the idea of Batman being the sort of ninja who can karate chop all the and is the best fighter in the world. Uh, he's obviously known as the world's greatest detective a lot, uh, as, a, as a super sleuth who can pick up on all the clues that the police miss. 
Uh, in the Justice League, he's often seen as the master strategist who can, his contingency plans have contingency plans and he's never caught unaware. Which is why he would beat Superman in a fight. Which is why he always does beat Superman in a fight, which frustrates me. That's not my Batman. But I was curious about which one you feel like is most, like when you think of Batman, which of the iterations feels truest to you or closest to to what you look for? Maybe it's almost easier to think about which ones don't, which one really like doesn't hew very close to your idea. I don't really love like the fighter Batman, like especially like I think about like kind of the brawler Batman from Nightfall, um, where it's just kind of this story about like brute strength and, um, you know, how that how that like leads to his downfall. And I think I I struggle sometimes with like the femme fatale parts of it too, where it's like he becomes almost this caricature that's like so emotionally closed off that it becomes this like almost joke in how he like treats women. And it, like I think part of that is because sometimes I think it flirts with a line of some of the ways he treats people becomes like irredeemable. And it's weird because most of the best writers will take him just up to that line and then pull it back. And I think that actually makes for some really interesting comic writing. But I do think there have been times in um, some comics I've read where it's been where they really have kind of taken him over the over the line with either how he like treats women he's uh, purported to be with or uh, the way he treats like Dick Grayson or Jason Todd or Tim Drake or less so Damien. Um, or selena just like some of the people in his life um or batgirl or just how he treats some of them and keeps them at arm's length and sometimes it really goes over the line and that that was kind of one of the themes in uh the like the long series i read is him really rediscovering his need for a bat family but i think like one of the disappointing things was i felt like some of the the ways he treated some of the people who cared about him like basically went from the realm of like oh, this is like a man struggling is almost like an anti-hero to like, oh, this guy's just like a huge jerk that no one would ever hang out with again. Um, so like those are not my favorite ones. I think like like my preferred Batman tends to be more along the lines of like the smartest man in the world, like tends to, you know, hyper strategist, hyper like really great detective. And then who also like really values the people around him, like kind of acknowledging his faults of not giving them credit. Um, when he needs to or letting them in emotionally but you know i like i think those tend to be which like basically describes scott snyder's run so it's sort of a not the most obvious comparison because this other character doesn't have the same virality of batman but he is often cited as a huge influence on the character uh is sherlock holmes who is uh intelligent to the point of being off-putting to the people around him is more interested in setting the world around him right than in trying to be a good person himself uh and and those are there's very few batman stories that deal with batman trying to work on himself and to be to be better and to treat people around him well tom king's run which i referenced does do a lot of that and i think that some of the work that scott snyder did on uh on his new 52 runs has uh did get into that a little bit too but Batman needs a therapist pretty badly and very rarely do the do any of the comics or certainly the movies uh, or acknowledge any of that. I, are you forgetting Dr. Chase Meridian? <laughs> As Ryan knows, I will never forget Dr. Chase Meridian because she was a very important part of my, of my childhood. Who's Dr. Chase Meridian? To... From Batman Forever? Yeah, the Oscar winner Nicole Kidman. Oh, she was only played by Nicole Kidman. I, who was who the other blonde bombshell uh, female? What's Michelle name? Pfeiffer? Not, well, yeah. No, no, not who. She wasn't Selena Kyle. I like Confidential. Who was that woman? Kim Basinger. Oh, Kim Basinger. She played, she was in, she was in the first, the first yeah, one. She was right? in the first one, yeah. Right. Yeah. Vicki Vale. Yes, that's it. Okay. Thank, thank you. I, I couldn't remember who was who. Okay. Now that makes sense. Now that I have context into that. <laughs> Tyler, did you have a special poster somewhere? I, I was I wasn't allowed to have any posters of of Chase Meridian, unfortunately, in my life when I was growing up. But that was uh, I I think probably if I were to go back and watch the movie now, I would truly hate it. But I preferred to just kind of let it stay right where it is, where it is in my mind right now. Yeah, I learned a, I I learned a lot about like who I was as a person watching that movie, and that was it'll so it'll always be important to me. Yeah, no, I could probably say the same thing about you know. 
Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer in that movie. <laughs> Chris, Chris O'Donnell. Who probably wasn't a bad Batman, but definitely was not well served by the material. No, no. Well, that was a that was a that was a weird era. We've talked about it before. We've got so, it too. We don't need to. We're trying to make this a celebratory episode. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of you know Batman, the character, you know, I enjoy reading. I, I would honestly probably would agree with Ryan. I I do enjoy Batman, the detective and the strategist. Um, I think that anytime you read like a you know a long run of a character, you see like all the the ugly sides of them too. So you know. In particular, I feel like you see um, Bruce Wayne um, be, you know, have a pretty, at some at some points, you know, um, unhealthy relationship with Dick Grayson, um, which is, is kind of why Dick Grayson left, right? I mean, I can't remember exactly the story there. I mean, like he eventually leaves his role as, as Robin. Um, so, you know, I think those are those are the things that obviously. Like it reminds you that he does have a heart otherwise. So I, I, I like that there's a bat family. Um, and, and I like that they, they talk about, you know, how Bruce needs that. He wants that. Um, but he still has like people in his life that he keeps, you know, in, in the place where he wants them to be, you know, in, in his crime fighting world, um, like relationships outside of that are kind of non-existent for him. So yeah, I don't think I have too much else to offer. I think that, um, I haven't read Tom King's run yet. Ah, I'm so bothered by that. I, I want to. I'm, I'm hoping to get into that soon. I love Scott Snyder's run. I've talked about that before. Um, I think that, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think that, um, you know, Bruce Wayne in the Christopher Nolan movies was a really good interpretation of his character. Good balance of, you know, his good and negative qualities. What do you guys think about that? The Nolan movies are interesting. Their legacy has been really interesting. I think they are really great movies. Um, uneven for sure, but I, I don't think any of them are bad. I, I, I think that they, their, their achievement, especially the Dark Knight, is really is huge, and it's and it's uh, it's an awesome movie. But I also think that in a lot of ways, it sort of ruins superhero movies because so many studios learned a lot of the wrong lessons from them about what a really cool movie was supposed to look like and copied it without really understanding it. And I really don't love a lot of the fandom that grew up around Heath Ledger's Joker performance, even though I do think it was a really terrific performance and I think it was made for a really great movie. Um, it, it seems to have become something that's so, almost a parody of like sort of toxic fandom and bred a lot of a lot of cynicism and a lot of anarchy and a lot of people who glorified that performance in ways that I don't think Christopher Nolan intended that I certainly don't think is, is thematic true to the themes of the movies itself, but the movie, like a lot of good things, um, I could highlight movies like maybe fight club or, or even the Watchmen took on a life of their own that seems sort of counter to what made the movie itself work so I, I don't know. I, I've, I have sort of mixed feelings about them, even though I think the movies as the movies themselves are a really strong achievement. I wasn't expecting such a dissertation. About <laughs> I've honestly thought about it a lot. I have thought about it a lot. It, it has a really interesting tale on it over the past 10 years. I think like one of the things I really love about Nolan's movies is that um, he taps into two uh, or maybe three of like the lesser known uh, Batman stories that I think are really important. Um, and one of those is like how much Batman is a product of Gotham City. Um, and it felt like like it felt like Nolan's movies. And, and I think this is maybe what executives missed when they tried to replicate it with other stuff is like Nolan's movies really delved into how much Gotham City created who Bruce Wayne was and then by extension created who Batman was. Um, and then I think the second one was in. Tyler, it's interesting you bring this up about the Joker is like basically like one of my favorite constant running themes is would the Joker exist without Batman? Um, and, you know, in a sense, is Batman's existence responsible for the existence of the Joker? And I think like those movies get at that theme like pretty well um, and talk about that really well. Um, and then I think the third thing I really like too is like the idea of Batman as horror, which for sure leans really heavily on the year one year one themes. Um, but I think you know I think Nolan took all of those and 
you know, made something really cool out of it. But I think the tricky thing is like whenever Warner Brothers tried to create that into a, you know, into a formula, they didn't have Christopher Nolan directing them. And that's like a huge problem whenever you're trying to replicate a Christopher Nolan movie. So yeah, I feel like like that's been the that's been the weird legacy of those movies. Like in a lot of ways, I wish the I wish the they'd tried to mimic the Tim Burton movies because those were dark, but they still had like an an edge of silliness and you know just some like weird superhero stuff that would you know have done well, I think, in other stuff or in you know other contexts. But yeah, I, so that's a long treatise on the Christopher Nolan. We're too white guys. We have a lot of thoughts well, on Christopher say, Nolan. I, we could do this. I like them. Yeah. Well, I I can't say I was expecting all that. I honestly like I was just thinking of it in terms of, of Bruce Wayne, but I see what you're saying um in terms of you know, like the popularity of those movies in particular because I don't, you know, there when, what was like the gap between when the last Batman movie came out and then his, Christopher Nolan's well, not very long. Yeah, maybe 6 or 8 years, something like that feels like such a huge disparity between that like the style and everything is so so dramatic so i see i could totally see that like and it is it's impossible to replicate a movie you know done in the style of christopher nolan if you're not christopher nolan i totally agree with that um i still think those movies were were great and it's too bad that they're kind of riddled with some some negative things you know obviously in in light of you know heath ledger's death too because that performance was so was so great but i still i think that those movies did do a great job of, of making Batman, you know, a more relevant character, although he was before, but I think that you still, you still kind of in the earlier movies, um, Michael Keaton and, um, well, Michael Keaton was in two, right? He was in the first two. Michael yeah. Keaton was in the first two, then Val Kilmer, then and then Clooney. George Clooney. <laughs> and then George Clooney, right. So, like, George Clooney was kind of, like, the last, right? He was the last Batman before. He was the before. last hurrah before they. Yeah, and, and, like, no one had good feelings after that. Yeah. So, I, like, I applaud them for making a movie that, like, that made Batman a more respectable character again. Um, and I think I think those movies also, like, possibly, like, you know, got people, like, more interested in, in reading the comics. I'm not sure I would have been as interested in reading Batman comics had Christopher Mullen's movies not come out, you know? And that really gets at something that I, I wanted to start to sort of wrap up on, I suppose, because Warner Brothers DC did not give up on Batman, even after George Clooney and uh, and Chris O'Donnell really tanked the whole franchise and, and made the whole idea of Batman into a joke. And and revived him, and and now he and now he's Batman again. What do you think it is about this character in particular, of all the superheroes, even more so than Superman, um, Spider Man, that makes him such an indelible part of pop culture? What about him has resonated? I feel like maybe it's this idea that, <laughs> like, I'm gonna get like more heady than I should, but like, <laughs> I thought like, you were gonna get choked up. It sounds like you were gonna start crying. No, it's all uh, right. I like I wonder if maybe it's the idea that like our justice system and like the system that we sort of depend on and you know hope works behind the scenes is like irrevocably broken um but that maybe like maybe there's some hope in the idea of this like person sort of existing outside of it who's like truly bringing people to justice and um you know truly fighting for the right things um that we can trust and who won't let our trust down if you think about it, like Batman is this sort of like idealized vigilante. There's always this like constant debate. And if you, you know, if you read Batman year one, you know, there's always like, there's this huge debate about like the bat vigilante um, and what that means for the police and for the law enforcement. And, you know, Gotham city has obviously been written for years as have like being filled with corrupt cops who are kind of on, you know, getting paid by the mob and all this other stuff. And, um, Batman seems to represent this idea that like maybe there's some justice out there, but it's like it's this weird, almost like like monarchist idea where it's like uh, Batman becomes almost this benevolent dictator of justice. Where you know, if if he existed in reality, I would be like appalled that this person, you know, was taking justice into their own hands and was doling out things outside of the criminal justice system and wasn't respecting the rights of. A, of prisoners and was, you know, basically causing his own mini mass incarceration. Um, but in comics, like it works because you like in comics is like, is one of the few places in the few media. And this is part of the reason I love it 
where we're like allowed to have heroes who like are tainted by the things that we have to protect against in reality. So I, like, I wonder if that's part of the reason is like, I think all of us, you know, and maybe this is just me, but I, I think this is pretty widespread or, you know, looking for something to cling to, um, particularly in times like now where it seems like, you know, corruption is running up to the highest levels of power and that the powerful are getting away from with everything and that the rich are sort of controlling um, the entire narrative of history. And, you know, in the comics along comes this like extremely benevolent rich guy who's willing to give away his fortune, who's willing to sacrifice his body and his mind um, to actually fight for justice and for common people. Um, And it's sort of the hope of this, again, benevolent monarch or Robin Hood figure that probably doesn't exist, but that we all really, really, really want. Because Batman is uh, the the idea of the crusade, right? Which is so tied to the idea of Batman. Somebody who who could not, who had, takes a whole city under his wing, a very corrupt city, a city maybe past the point of saving, says, I'm going to put all my like all my resources, my my significant resources towards making sure that people can stop getting away with this. And especially at a time, and I think Ryan, you hit it nail on the head, a time like the present where it's easy to feel very helpless about what people can get away with and to just feel so frustrated and to feel so uh, uh, passive about it. Cause all you can do is all you can do is whine at the sky and, and, and cry and tweet, I guess. Uh, but what if there was somebody who didn't have to operate within the confines that we have to operate in? What if there was somebody who you really trusted to do the right thing, who you didn't mind putting your trust in to do the right thing, who started setting things right and held people accountable and did the right thing? And you, you can even kind of see that with some of the hagiography that goes on around people like Robert Mueller or even somebody like, say, Steve Colbert, uh, how deified these people get because we're just we're desperate for anybody who does something close to that. And Batman is the ultimate representation of somebody who's not that different from us, but just decided to devote his life to a, a crusade of, of making sure criminals paid the price for breaking the law. And I think that's always going to be that was there in Robin Hood. That was there with Paul Bunyan. There with Gilgamesh. That's going to be a very timeless trope for probably as long as there's still people and there's still corruption. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not super fucking basic. So. <laughs> that was beautiful. Well, it's it is, but it's also like it's one of those things where, of course, when you step back, no matter how hard you try, the idea does get either a little bit terrifying because this is sort of a this is a violent dictator or a little bit goofy because he's dressed up like a bat and i think where some of the iterations do go wrong is in trying to play him too seriously um or sometimes they've tried to play him too goofy like in the 60s tv show which you know these are both allowed within the iterations of a fictional character but you have to make sure that you have to sort of hold both of those things in your hand at the same time uh, because that's where the the wish fulfillment comes into play, and it, and I think and that's where it can be important, and it can even be inspiring to say, well, I can't go out there, hopefully, and start busting heads on the street at night, but we all do have resources, and it's inspiring to know that it, it can be inspiring in in difficult times, or it has been at least for me. I feel like a Batman character has like really perfectly and like classically cap- encapsulates the idea of of being a vigilante. Um, which I know I'm not the most uh, like educated when it comes to like all the history of comics, but I do feel like, you know, Batman was a character who did that first, like so well and maintained that. And, and, and obviously like that became like the idea of, you know, of vigilantism is like central to so many comic characters. And so, but I feel like you just see it in its purest form with mm-hmm. Batman. And I think it also allows for there to be sort of a, he's he's such a blank slate in so many ways the the form of who he is and his origin is just broad enough to allow for a lot of different iterations which is why he can be used like nolan did to sort of illustrate like the dark knight is sort of an illustration of of both the the good things and the bad things about the bush cheney administration uh but you can also use him for something to explore the our, our own like hearts and and what we're afraid of our insecurities and and our angers the things we want to take revenge on i think that's valuable too because he's 
is if you stay true to the bare basics, you can still go a lot of directions with Batman. And we've explored a lot of those over the course of this podcast. Uh, and it's been good to talk about it with you guys. I've enjoyed it. Before we close, uh, I know we've touched on a lot of different comics here, but I want to make sure that we're doing a good job of curating a list. Uh, if DC Universe isn't going to do it, then we'll try to do it for you. If you were going to recommend just one Batman comic uh, of the ones of all the ones we've talked about or ones we haven't for someone to go read out, coming out of here, what would it be? Okay, there's the classics that are kind of obvious. Like you got Year One, The Dark Knight Returns. Like everyone should read those. Um, Long Halloween, Dark Victory. Everyone should read those. But then, like, I would maybe choose a couple of lesser-known ones, like, just to kind of round out, mm -hmm. round stuff out. And, I mean, I want I would choose limited ones because I think, like, Hannah touched on, like, especially if you're reading comics kind of casually, um, which, you know, to be honest, is how I read a lot of comics these days. Um, like, it's easier to read limited miniseries or even, like, outside of the uh, main line uh series are good because like snyder's and king's runs are both really good but i think snyder had two standalone uh comics uh before he started he took over the main book um the first was batman gates of gotham which is sort of cheating because dick grayson is batman during it but if you it's really that, good it's really good and it ties into like the history of of gotham city in a really cool way which i think is like again one of my favorite ways of like thinking and um, reading about Batman just to talk about how he relates to the city of Gotham and then I would say the second is Brian Azzarello's Joker graphic novel oh, interesting. Um, which is like super violent and disturbing um, but also very very good and Brian Azzarello you know he wrote 100 Bullets which is like the you know kind of the crowning achievement in crime comics um, for Vertigo but it really is like a crime slash horror comic where Joker is you know, if you thought like Heath Ledger's version was bad, like Brian Azzarello's mind is much more twisted, but it's really good. And I think kind of clues into the idea of who kind of, you know, who Batman is and who Batman is fighting and things like that. Hannah, what do you think? I read The Joker by Brian Azzarello. That is a really good one. So I will also say that's a good, a good place to start. And um, I love Black Mirror. That was by Scott Snyder. And I think it has. Like, oh, I haven't read Black Mirror yet. It's it's really good, um, you know, detective comics. So, if you if you are into that, you will like Black Mirror. I mean, we already talked about Year One, which is a great place to start. So, I feel like those are you got you got some good reading lists to go from there. I would add to the pile um, the follow up to Batman Year One, a, a direct sequel to it. So, you should definitely only read it after you've read Year One. But the Long Halloween is written by Jeff Loeb, uh, drawn by Tim Sale. Uh, Jeff Loeb has gone on to do a lot of really bad comics. So I, it's a weird one to, to recommend. But I think The Long Halloween is, is an all-time favorite Batman story of mine. Uh, it's a really great detective story, uh, a really great murder mystery, uh, a story that really gets at, after the first year of Batman's career in Gotham City, gets at sort of the widening uh, complications of what it's like to have somebody like Batman operating in your city and how the ripple effect, the the butterfly wings that create the hurricane in the rest of Gotham. And it's, it's a really excellent story that I, I feel like does a great job of setting up. Year one sets up who Batman is and then the long Halloween sets up sort of what Gotham becomes the Gotham city that, that we all know. So that would be my recommendation to you. I'll put links to all of these as always in our show notes. So you can go check them out if you want to and, and uh, read them to your heart's content. And uh, I think with that, we'll wrap it up. We usually do uh, a little uh, pre-written scripted segment to give a little bit of history and backstory of the character. I feel like most people are probably already pretty familiar with that. So this time we just wanted to talk about ourselves a little bit and why we like this character and we wanted to give a little more, uh, spend a little more time talking about all the different iterations of him. Chris Youngblood couldn't make it here this time. He is uh, celebrating his wife's birthday, uh, but we'll be back next time. Chris sent a series of hot takes. He wants. Oh, yeah, I turned them off because they were, but, but, but yeah, it's, uh, let's read his hot takes. His first hot take, uh, Batman is Bruce Wayne. That was his right, first one. Bold. Is that the standard for the, all these takes? No, no. The next one hotter? is... Uh, Bruce Wayne supports the ideals of Trump, but hates the man, which I think is a like, very bad take, but you know, well, you know, he's celebrating. The third one is Jason Todd's death was Batman's fault. 
which I think I agree with. So that's also Jason Todd's take, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe Chris is Jason Todd. Breaking news. <laughs> Those are Chris Youngblood's scorching hot takes, which hopefully becomes oh, a man. recurring podcast segment. Oh, segment. I wish Chris had been here for this one. Yeah, but Chris, if you're listening, we miss you, buddy. <laughs> I wonder if Chris listens. Do you guys listen to these when you can't make a recording? Do you go back and check it out? I've never listened to one of our podcasts. Oh my word. They're great. They're so much fun. <laughs> I'm sure they're really good. I can't hear my voice on tape. It's well, you should make sure many. that you give us a positive review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, that's that's true. Even if you don't listen maybe to us. Maybe we should close and not talk about how we don't listen to our own podcast. <laughs> well, we will close with that. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, I do hope that you go over to Apple Podcasts. You can give us a good review and uh, subscribe. And uh, make sure to follow us also on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Cape Town Pod on both of those outlets. And uh, we also are going to be back uh, in two weeks. Oh, I think we might be due for a special guest. I think we got somebody lined up to yeah, talk to, so. to talk with us next time. And also, we just got word recording this that uh, the day that this comes out, there's going to be a Captain Marvel trailer. So we're going to be two weeks late to that news, I suppose. But by the time you guys listen to this, you'll have you'll have seen the first uh, first footage of Captain Marvel. Uh, we'll post it. We'll, we'll post it, and we'll get to that in good time. Uh, and we'll wrap it up with that. Thanks to CM Studios for making sure we sound good and the headphones. And we'll see you next time. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Hannah Mazel. And I'm Ryan Ham. No need for thanks, citizen. 